Okay, so Spirit of Adventure continues. It is continuing, isn't it? You think of those testimonies you just heard. Definitely continuing. Uh, but we're going to continue on now, Spirit of Adventure. Uh, we've been looking at God's work in, in changing our hearts, softening our hearts, increasing that measure of compassion and bringing us closer to him in preparation for this important next stage, Spirit of Adventure Harvest. So we're going to begin today to look at that with a view to seeing what God's going to do amongst us as we go through that. Now, <clears throat> uh, to help me in this, I've enlisted various people. I'm not going to be bringing them all up to speak, but they've all helped me and input in and that's uh, Brandon and Sally and Fatima and Marissa and Fernando so what they've given to me is kind of going to be worked in over the next uh, uh, week or two so when we talk about this <clears throat> and today we're just going to look at where we start from and why we should even be involved in spreading the gospel I think probably that's about all we'll get done today. We'll see how we go. <clears throat> What's our starting point? Well, you're just hearing about starting points. Claire going to school. It made me think about a starting point. Shall I tell you a story? Yes. I'll just tell it to you, Debbie, because you're... <laughs> it's funny how your mind goes back, isn't it? Starting point. Starting point today is going to be about us, about you, about me. The starting point was, I remember when I went to school, they said, when the bell goes, it's time to come home. So when the bell went, I went home. Not realising that there was a bell for playtime or something like that. So the headmistress, and this is from years ago, her name was Miss Funnel, and I can remember her coming in her car, I got a ride in the car for the first time, to collect me from half five at the time, and we were probably about ten minutes walk away from where the school was, so it was a starting point. It was a starting point of a time in my life that wasn't the most auspicious. It went on until I was 16, when I left school, and that was a very happy day for me and for the school. <laughs> Starting point. Starting point is where you're coming from, basically. Uh, and what we're understanding, as far as what God wants, and we've got to kind of sweep away all other ideas and concepts and things that some of us might have been taught over the years. What God wants is that heart of compassion. Time and again it says Jesus first being moved with compassion. So really, without that, we're kind of back in a loser. It's not going to work. So constantly we've got to be asking God that. Maybe uh, it could be a particular burden. Uh, See, Brenda just mentioned her son, Daniel. Now, I don't know why. I've not had a lot, of, a lot of to do with Daniel. But 
forever, for always, since he was just little. He's been one of those people that I that sense of burden for. Just, and, and it just, while it's there, I ain't going to change because I'm expecting that we'll see something come through. And I think that's important to bear in mind that we are part of a process and it doesn't all depend on us because uh, nobody comes to God unless the Spirit of God actually draws them. But we have a privilege of being part involved in that. It may be particular friends. uh, And it may start off sometimes by having an involvement, compassion, care, concern, for somebody who's a, a friend but doesn't actually know the real answer to life in terms of knowing Jesus. So we're entering into this, I think, God-ordained special season where our expectation for increased fruit of harvest, uh, not only from the many things we're doing, but from the fact of of the opportunity to know the reality of God for ourselves, our expectation should and could well be on the increase. So starting point is where you're coming from. I want you to really focus on that question. Where are you coming from in this matter of harvest? Have you been? Do you need to be asking God for a renewal, a refreshing, compassion like you've never known before? Because that is primary. Because in the end, actually, it's not actually about you. It's about what Jesus wants and about the person that he's sending you to connect with. So somehow, we want to be a a conduit, not a barrier. And and being a conduit, yes, we we can learn communication techniques and I think that's very a very good idea uh, but it is about what is actually happening in us what is what is stirring in us and that's why it's been so important and we focused over these weeks on that about our own heart condition and position and I've been I've been interesting interesting to hear different ones say uh, not always Feeling totally positive. Oh, this compassion stuff has really had me upset. It's had me in tears. It's had me burdened. It's had me troubled. I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. Wonderful. Because when you really care, you frankly do not go out free. You do not go out as careless because there are things that God is giving us to feel and to understand and stir with us. So we will, in the course of time, focus more on uh, what he wants and who we're reaching out to. Of course, it's pretty important that we realise and that we're convinced that we've got good news. The good news that Jesus is the way to God. The good news that he has actually uh, made the provision for us to enter into the life he intended. Good news that in paying the price of dying in our place. I mean, you pretty much know this. 
My question is, and I am questioning, is it good news? Are you thinking that you've got something better than a kind of special sale on at Tesco's to tell somebody about? That you've got something which is actually life-changing? Now, look, if that's not the case, it's not a question of let's beat ourselves up. It's a question of saying, I need, Lord, to be refreshed in the goodness of this good news. I need to be excited about the fact that I'm carrying the news of the secret of life. I'm carrying the thing that everybody needs. And if only they knew, they, this is a thing that they would want. So we're actually beginning to recognise and just to review. I'm carrying good news. Otherwise, I'm kind of coming on a kind of, hmm, I, I don't know quite how to tell you this, uh, but, you know, um, Jesus loves you. That don't feel like good news. That feels like you need to visit the dentist. You know? It's like, good news is something that is good news to us you know it's like it's way beyond my wife and the level of excitement when she got something a pound off <laughs> or she got some tokens do you know what they used to give them out sometimes in the street? Do you know what? She used to make me walk up and down so I got plenty of them. <laughs> but it's even better than that. Really, really good news. Anybody agree? Yes. Like on a scale of 1 to 10, how good is the news that you've got? Well, yeah. See, I think we know that in our minds. But somehow it's got a kind of filter through so that we're excited in the communication. Uh, because it's not about the skill of communication, it's about, you know, we communicate what we are. And I can say, this is very interesting and very, very exciting. In a very John-like way. But you would immediately realise, wow, it must be because you... Well, no, there has to be some communication, yeah? But equally, if we take it the other way around and we try to communicate that we've found a place of, of peace and joy and the truth is we're totally miserable, you can have all the words in the world but it, you end up communicating what you are. You cannot communicate that you're in a place of enjoying peace unless that is the case that you are. So the question really is, this gift of salvation, is it your greatest possession? Is it the thing more than anything else that is vital and important? But then you've got to ask the question, otherwise it's just, mm, well, I'm not sure, perhaps it... Mm, what, what if it's not? See, God loves to deal with reality. He's never yet been phased out by something, the answer's not quite what he would like it to be. 
So, you know, let's try and make it up because otherwise we make him feel bad and get a headache and have a bad day. That is, God is not like that. It's basically, what if it's not our greatest possession? Well, there are things which he gives us to do. First of all, as we begin to thank him in the measure of what we can thank him in, as we begin to confess and speak out something that we can in reality about this great salvation, about this gift from God, that is a way in which it begins to build. It's like as you pour out, he pours in. When we begin to consider just what he's delivered us from. And we look at some of the, the, the sort of rampant selfishness and self-focus in the world in which we live. And we could begin to rejoice say, say, but for his grace, that's how I would be. That really has an effect on me. When I think about, hmm, that's how I would be if he'd not arrested me and changed me and sought me and cared for me and didn't beat up on me but actually showed me his love and melted my heart. That's how I would be if he hadn't done that. And I begin to appreciate all over again this great salvation. Of course, we've been talking already this morning about the, the opportunity to be refreshed in his presence. And in these days... Uh, we need that as a constant thing, to, to just, just experience the presence of God. And often that can be in a meeting, but it's, thank God, not restricted to a meeting. And God does not want us sort of faithfully trudging on. You know, this is what we do, this is where we go, these are the things we do, and maybe we, we always shout without any sense of life in it. He actually wants us to be, have a, a spring in our step in terms of this great salvation. And therefore, he was very, very willing to engage in meeting with us. And most of you have had the joy and have the joy of knowing the presence of God. There is nothing in this world to compare with the experience of the presence of God. So we have to be convinced and convinced from within. We have to believe that we've, what we've got is good. And it costs. You tend to find that things that are good, things that are of value, cost. And it does cost. And if we're not understanding the cost, I'm suggesting we maybe need to be moving on to see what more God's got for us. Because it costs choosing to turn aside from what we're familiar with in terms of our life to this point or our natural tendencies or the way that we would kind of naturally choose to be. And that can be painful. It can be painful because there are times when not everybody actually appreciates who we are or what we are. But the cost is all part of the value. It's valued because it costs us something. Now, when we reach out to people, we've got to make sure that our, we've got the right purpose. And let me suggest 
some wrong purpose. Wrong purpose, correct them. You're believing the wrong thing. Uh, or you're, you're going the wrong way. See, I don't think it's our purpose to correct. If we decide that we want to have a, a kind of theological or doctrinal argument, I don't know that that ever brings anyone to God. And certainly, um, condemning people. Um, many, many years ago, um, we had this idea, we used to have little pamphlets, we used to call them tracts, little pamphlets, which had the gospel in. And uh, I decided to write one. And I started it uh, with these words. You are hereby sentenced to death. <laughs> it, it wasn't a great success. <laughs> you know, what, most people are understanding that there's some serious need and lack in their lives. I think we carry good news. Yes, there's a price to pay, but we carry good news. We're not there trying to um, demonstrate or convince people how bad they are. Actually, it's not even our job. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. That, it's the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. So we should never get into that, about how bad or how, fail, how much they're failing. So that wouldn't be the way to go. Equally, we're not there to create fear. Do you know? Oh, oh I can hear it now. Oh, I hear it now. I hear the cries of those dropping into hell. <laughs> and that could be you. I exaggerate a little bit. But we're not there to create fear. We're there to bring good news. Yes? Yeah. So, painting pictures, uh, you know, beware your sin will find you out. Well, yeah, it's in the Bible, but it's not really the starting point. I don't think it was Jesus' starting point. And if our purpose is, this is my duty, uh, I'm supposed to do this, uh, which was really more my background from where I came from. Uh, it, it was seen as a duty. It was seen as something that you, you, you had to do, and if you were good, you would do it. That don't work either, because we never think it's my duty uh, to uh, share good news. It, good news kind of comes out as God gives us these opportunities. Then, of course, whilst how we are is number one importance, what are we going to say? And we can, we can talk some more about this, but look, we have really one message. Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, and said, because you have been obedient to do this, to be this sacrifice, I make you Lord, and Lord of everyone. That's our message. Jesus is Lord. That is our gospel message. Jesus is Lord. And the only question is, 
if God has made him Lord, where do you stand? What is your position? See, we don't need to get too complicated. Now, there are other ways and good ways to communicate, but primarily, that's our message. Our message is, the very best news is that God has provided a way that we can actually have everything that he's laid ready for us as we submit to the rule of Jesus. And instead of saying, I rule me, choosing to say, I hand over that authority and that rule to you. That is the entry point. That brings us into everything that God has promised and provided. All the peace, all the joy, all the assurance, everything, our life being led by the creator of the universe who's actually rather more competent than we are to actually manage it. Day by day, moment by moment, the very best news. So then there's the question, I think we talked about this a little while ago, uh, I was talking about Moses knowing that God was mighty. The big issue for Moses, he knew that God was almighty God. But he wasn't convinced that God was mighty in him. And yet, we know that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies. That God can be mighty in us. Not just he is almighty God. That he can use us in mighty and powerful ways. Being convinced of that, accepting that, brings a boldness and a confidence that he could use me. Do you believe God could use you? I'm asking you a lot of questions today. Do you feel that you're in a kind of, you know, you're in the spotlight? Yeah? Is it uncomfortable? I'll do it in a nicer way. Yeah? Do you believe God could, do you believe God could use you? Yeah? I'll put a smile on. But the question's still the same. Is there an adjustment that I need that helps me to genuinely believe that God is almighty in me, that he could use me? That sense of privilege, sense of joy, when God uses us in something. That, that's, a, that's a thrilling thing. You know, um, a couple of times in the scripture, Romans 10, 15, Ephesians 6.15 talks about this how, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel it's a strange expression um, but it actually comes um, from the imagery is what's based in Isaiah 52 and it's, it's of the messenger I really wanted some people to act this out but I don't really want to wake anybody up. So, <laughs> The imagery is the messenger that's coming back from the battlefield uh, to the people that have been uh, captured and saying, we've won the, won the battle. And it's a, it's a kind of exuberant leaping and dancing and shouting, um, bringing the good news, carrying something which not only is he excited about, but he's utterly excited to have the privilege to be bringing that good news. Now, that is actually the, the imagery that that comes from. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
successful battle. The captives are going to be set free. They're overjoyed at that potential release. So it's okay to savour a little bit the joy of expectation, the joy of receiving new birth. And when we had the uh, first Tuesday prayer, Naomi shared something about that anticipation. And I've asked her if she would just come and remind us a little bit of that uh, this morning because I think it's something that we really need to get hold of. Yeah? So um, I received a word from God through listening to an iPod about a verse from Isaiah 54, which was, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. And the word was about rejoicing and preparing ahead of increase and anticipating the breakthrough before it comes with joy. And that that was an expression of faith. You begin the celebration when you receive God's word and you're celebrating because you understand what he's saying and you're anticipating what will happen and celebrating the increase before it arrives. And from that, I caught a question. How would it look to celebrate the people on our hearts coming to know him before it actually happens? And that fitted with Jamie's But God trajectory, where we're making the decision to celebrate not on what we can currently see, because they're not walking with him at that time, but we're relying upon what he's saying and what he's like, what is his nature. And we look across knowing the but God moment, even though we're not there yet. And from that came another question, which was how do we widen our tents to prepare for the increase before it's actually happened, the increase of all these people coming to know him? Part of the verse from Isaiah was saying, start singing and shout for joy. And it was a real encouragement that there should be a praise and celebration that may look weird to people who aren't involved in it. It doesn't make sense to them. And it it linked to David when he danced ahead of the ark coming into Jerusalem. Um, And Saul's daughter said of him, you were like a foolish man who takes off his clothes without shame. But David didn't care about that because he was celebrating the coming of God's presence and his celebration wasn't contained. I also caught a picture of a tree and I felt that linked to Psalm 84, which we looked at in Pilgrimage 17, which said, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my God and my King. And I felt that this was linking to Jesus saying that he'd made a way for everybody, not just a select few, and that there was a place for all these people on our hearts in his kingdom. The celebration was going to be in advance with a word of faith. So it was also about if you didn't have a real sense, it wasn't about pretending, because it says in Romans that faith comes from hearing, not from human effort. So there was an encouragement just to take time to say to God, what is it? that you're saying about the people that you've put on my heart and that if you haven't heard anything to take time to ask him 
but that in the meantime we can still celebrate because we know what his nature is, we know what he's like. And part of that response could be to remember the people that he's given you faith for that he would meet and to write down what that would look like. How would it feel when they meet him? What would your song of praise be? And to write it now. So that joy of anticipation, very key and very important, something that we can, I think, if we, you know, if you believe something's going to happen, anybody believe Christmas is going to happen? Yeah? You look, you kind of smiled then. Yeah, Christmas is coming. See, there's a, if we really anticipate something wonderful and joyful, there can be a joy that we experience uh, leading up to that. And, of course, our joy is to him, because it's him that's, that's done it and provided it. It's for the person that's going to benefit from coming into that relationship, and there's a joy to us as well. And uh, I, I was thinking about uh, some of those, uh, and my mind went back to uh, in a former time when I was working as an assistant to an evangelist, um, in the country, and he did these. We did these various evangelistic crusades, and this guy, um, he was a slave driver, but he himself was like a human dynamo, you know. And uh, I, I discovered something. Well, I discovered hard work. God, <laughs> um, oh dear, I was I was taking holiday time off from when I was still stockbroking then and god dear it was good to get back to work for a rest you know but uh, we were doing this uh, crusade in Bristol and it was going really well it was uh, Salvation Divine Healing Crusade and God was using him he was a bit of a crook but God was using him so uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> and uh, one of my jobs was to, to, to check the adverts in the paper. And I had a huge number of things to do, but that was... So I opened the local paper one day, and it says, um, uh, Divine Healing and Evangelistic Crusade, great success continues for a further week with evangelist John Singleton. <laughs> it's the first I know of it. I'm there just to help and do door work and things like that and uh, so I went I said what is this oh yes he said uh, I've d we've decided to carry on but I've got another crusade to go to so you're, you're going to carry on here which I was due to be there to, to do follow up work so uh, I said okay well I'm fairly used to preaching the gospel but these, all this healing and miracles and stuff I've not seen much of that he said don't worry I'm just going to pray for you and lo and behold, he did. And we saw some amazing things. But here's the point. He said, this is what you do. Um, get up in the morning, get out early, get all the workers, a lot of workers there, get them all deployed, all working through the day. Come back, spend the day prayer and fasting, then go in and do the children's crusade, then do the adult crusade, then come home and then um, have a little something to eat and then start again the next day. I thought, but here's my point. The joy 
of seeing so many people turning to God. It, it just knocked all the other things that were insignificant because somehow our focus was on the things that God was doing. And when our focus gets onto what God's doing, whether it's with many or with an individual, of course then we begin to, to tap into a different place, actually rejoicing with him as he does in situations like that. So we're talking about a happy harvest, uh, empowered by him, uh, with God's hands, with God's feet, and we can be confident. See, you notice Jesus always was our example. And he gave um, time and again, come follow me. It was a kind of invitation, but it, it, it seemed to carry something. There was an expectation. Did everybody? No, I don't think everybody did. But that come follow me, I have no sense at all that God has stopped saying that that he's still today saying, come, follow me. I believe that he will use us to be part of his hands and feet, as it were, in that message. But we could be confident to be going, saying, come, follow me, or follow him, to be more precise. And actually, empowered by him, confident in him, and following that clear instruction. But here's the good bit. If you like, it's our role to share, to talk, to present, to be those, the hands and feet, blessed are those, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's the individual's responsibility to choose. And it's only God that can actually, when somebody chooses to believe that Jesus died and rose again and that God has made him Lord an individual can choose to say yes I'll choose to believe that but it takes a miracle of God's grace to actually enable us that's the miracle of salvation so we need to understand it's not about it's our we haven't got a kind of force somebody to choose we're there to bring that invitation to lay out this good news, the individual has to choose. We don't have to be apologizing. We don't have to be defensive. It's good news. It's great joy. And we are, as the Bible says, to be salt and light in the earth, engaged in the real world, not just kind of shut away from it. That's why the things we're engaged in, whether it's faith action or hub or institute or coffee shop or any of the other things that we're engaged in is all part of that of being salt and light in the world but it's taking that to the next stage and recognizing we are also those who are to bring the good news of God's great gift of salvation that's our commission let's just let's just read that again, which will be very familiar to us. This is why we should do it. I'm reading just from Mark 16, verse 15. 
He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. It's not that difficult. It's basically very clear. Into all the world and spread the good news. Tell everybody that is open to hear. So we build a platform by being salt and light, but no point in building a platform and not speaking from it. So we're there to build the platform, to be engaged, to be friends, to join, be joined to people, and then to speak from the compassion that comes from real relationship, having a real offer. Not about come and join our course, but here is good news. The best gift we can ever bring to anyone is this good news of salvation. And actually, Jesus died for the whole world. He actually died for everybody. So he rightly deserves that everybody should come to him. Because that's what he died for. That's what he deserves. And we have the privilege of being those who can, can rescue. I think that's the way I would put it, rescue. People that are trapped maybe in despair or futility or hopelessness may be successful and yet insecure, just like the rich young ruler was in the Bible. And the good news is we're sent to where he wants to go. It's not about get out and do this and you're on your own. This is about the pattern that he chose that he would send us and equip us to carry what he wants. In other words, he's going to back it up. Now, on that same evening, uh, Fatima shared a little bit about that commissioning. I've asked her to come just to uh, share briefly. <laughs> By the way, I lost my voice because I was singing, and just, that shows I have obeyed Mark and Richard, because <laughs> they said in Doulas you have to worship. I've lost my voice, but I'm going to talk anyway. (laughs) Um, Yes, I felt God spoke to me through uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. I read the whole chapter afterwards, but that's the particular verse God spoke to me. And it says like that, Jesus, um, then Jesus sends out another 72 disciples, and he sends them out in pairs, two by two, ahead of him, in places and towns where he himself wanted to visit. So as I saw that verse, I was like, wow, I've seen this many times and never saw it this way. And I was just like, kind of, you know, like, God, what do you mean? What do you say? You know, like I was trying to speak to him and, and ask him to reveal more of what he wanted to speak. And, and then God started showing more. So I, I just remembered that he had sent 12 disciples first. So I went back in the same book, chapter 9, verses 1 to 4, where Jesus says to his disciples, 12 of them, he says that, go out there heal the sick, and share the good news. And I was like, wow, that's us at the hub. We felt the same thing. We felt God say to us, heal the sick and share the good news. And that's what we did. And and we do remember that as a team, we are more bold, and we we started to be more upfront to the gospel, and we saw God's miracle healings. Um, Not only those who were there, but Jesus healed people who weren't even there. And it was just amazing. So I was seeing that, and and just thinking, and recalling, very excited. And then... um, I was just thinking, oh, so God has raised the portion. It's not 12 anymore. So he's saying, he's sending out 72. 
And then I was just thinking that because as a church, we know that we are in the move. We are not standing still anymore. And um, it's amazing because the teaching had changed as well from uh, Clear the Gospel that time. It was Clear, clear the Gospel. Your gospel, I think, yes. And then we move to um, Spirit of Adventure. And then now we are with Harvest, where John has, has spoke recently about softening of hearts. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So I was just trying to ask God, you know, what, what are you saying? And I think it's important that as a church, we keep asking God to show us those places where God wants to visit. He, he knows where he wants to visit. And as we ask him, he leads us to go in the right place, and he goes before us, so we shouldn't be afraid. I'm sure you know, but I'm just saying. So he goes before us, and, and he, he makes that place known for us, and, and, and you know, we, we be his hands and feet. Um, so it's important to know that, as I said earlier, he's not 12 anymore, he's 72, he's a bigger portion. It doesn't have to be only Castle Point or only the leaders. God has commissioned each one of us, and he has sent us out. It's amazing because we carry something very special. For those who believe in Jesus, we carry the spirit of the living God who wants to be known through us, and that's amazing. So I think the question is, um, are we ready to be landing? And have we got all it takes to have safe and fruitful journey and, and arrival? Thank you. Thank you. I did well. I did well. Yeah, I didn't go yeah, far. Yeah. So, like that, it sounds as though you're sitting next to a commissioned officer. You're commissioned. Use, use that. That finger is holy. Okay? Pick it, pick it up for a minute and, and point it at someone and say, you're commissioned. How many of you came to know or become followers of Jesus because you went to an evangelistic crusade? Put your hand. Uh, how many because you read a book? because some friend or relative invited you to something. Can you get my point? The overwhelming number of people that become followers of Jesus are because some friend or relative speaks to them, shares the gospel with them, or invites them uh, to something. That's the role that we have. That's the successful role. And uh, I thank God for those who did that for me. Um, and uh, although I built up a very aggressive defense, there was one or two God raised up that were not, not put off by that. And they found sneaky ways to get round that resistance uh, commissioned. And it's not about just doing our own thing. Um, it's about being open to God not just about following your own idea, it's about being empowered by him. And sometimes that's really weird, and it's really way out. And the experience that I've shared before was when we were working with lots of uh, kind of drug people and people on the streets, and there were these two lads that had come from somewhere up north, and we somehow had contact with them, and we, 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 we talked with them about Jesus, and and they kind of just went off and we knew that they were somewhere in London and one day I don't know whether it was me or somebody said we need to find and we need to talk again to those two boys two young men and we were in Dagnum and 
so there we are, a city of seven or eight million people, two people we don't know where they are other than they're in London. So a big argument started about the foolishness of this. And as the argument continued, two of us actually decided, yeah, this was God. And we drove into London, stopped at Trafalgar Square. No, this wasn't the place. Drove to Piccadilly Circus. And Piccadilly Circus, you know, teeming with people. And who, as we stopped by a pedestrian crossing, who should come walking across but these two young men? That God was giving us another opportunity because he had commissioned us for those at that time. You know, these are, these are exciting times. They're kind of a bit way out, you know. I mean, if you told me you're going to look for someone you don't know where they are in London, I'd say you start raving bonkers. But God can do, I mean, he does do all sorts of things. And uh, another time I was remembering um, Lisa, who many of you know, was served uh, faithfully and powerfully with us for a number of years, now in Australia. Uh, she had walked with God, got into a bad marriage, lost her way, disappeared, went off don't know where. And one bank holiday, I'm sitting there and I feel that God says, contact Lisa, but I no longer have any contact with her. Don't have phone number, don't have anything. So I contacted her ex-husband by that time and he gave me a contact number and I called her. And the next day she came back and came back to God and the rest that you know is is what happened and how God used her. That was weird. That was strange. But all these things, whether it's talking to the person that you work with and you know on a regular basis or something that's way out, as we're open for God recognising his commissioning, we can expect to see that he will use us and the Spirit will empower us and nudge us in particular directions. And he gave us a promise. The promise is, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I think at that point, um, we got to look at the fact that it's a bit different, but it's going to work out like that.